G'day and welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson, CEO here at NextGen Agri. I've worked in livestock research, farming and breeding for over 25 years. I've been very fortunate to see a lot of amazing places and meet a lot of wonderful people throughout that career. I'm reminded every day of just how awesome the livestock industry really is. It really is a great pleasure to bring you the stories and wisdom of people in the industry via the Head Shepherd Podcast. This podcast is supported by our good friends at Allflex and MSD Animal Health, who are guided by the one mission of the science of healthy and productive animals. With these two companies now combined, they have one of the widest product portfolios in Australasia with a comprehensive lineup from the Cooper's range of animal health products through to the ID and monitoring solutions that, that Allflex are famous for. The products are all backed up by their exceptional service, and we're thrilled to continue to have their support in bringing you this podcast each week. Well, we've made it to Season 7. Amazing to have come this far. If I could ask a couple of small favours before we get underway this week, if you could rate this podcast in the app that you're listening to it in, that would be fantastic. Also, if you know someone that you think would enjoy what we do here, please share the show links with them. Finally, if you are listening to this podcast, you're probably a big fan of Livestock Farm. We're setting up the Next Gen Agri Hub to be the home of Livestock Farming Conversations. Check it out at thehub.nextgenagri.com. Okay, it's time for this week's guest. Welcome back to Head Shepherd. Awesome this week to have an old friend of mine, Monica Ebert. Welcome to Head Shepherd. Awesome. Thanks, Ferg. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Uh, you're currently sitting in Port Elizabeth in South Africa, but we might start in the US where your career started. So you grew up on a on a stud farm there, I think, and then yeah, always passionate about yep. sheep and wool. So we might yeah might start with yeah where you grew up and and how you ended up passionate about wool. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so I grew up in Northeast Kansas and we raised, I was saying I did grow up on a sheep farm. We raised British down breeds. So the wool side of things didn't come on until a little bit later in life, but still helped with shearing and and all of that. But so we had Dorsets and Hampshires and Suffolks. Um, I grew up showing sheep. Um, we raised seed or we raised seed stock. Um, so a lot of, so a lot of rams and ewes, um, around the United States. And then I, studied fashion design and marketing at university. And that was kind of where I started to see the link between fiber and, and fashion. And so I did wool judging while I was, uh, did my undergrad and was fairly successful at that. And so I decided that I wanted to focus on, on wool as it goes into apparel. So did a summer internship in Texas at the Texas A&M, um, AgriLife Research Stuck around, or, you know, finished up my undergrad and then went back for my master's degree at Angelo State University doing my research at, at Texas A&M AgriLife and focused on wool supply chain. So took the, gen, took the genetic, it was a genetic study that I picked up and ran with where we had actually crossed um, some Australian merino genetics to try to find up the merinos, um, and we call them rambolets in the United States. Because there was, the, it was back at a time when there was that huge difference in price for about 18 micron and finer. And obviously by the end of that study, it had almost disappeared. And I think we're only kind of now starting to see that come back into the market of, of, those, of those price differences for, for those microns. And so from there, I went to Montana State and I managed the wool research lab for a year. So focused um, on working with, with local wool growers around the state of Montana. And then from there... Where I met you, I went on to the New Zealand Merino Company, um, and I worked there for a year, and then um, got asked to come over to South Africa. And so I'm currently at BKB, um, which is the country's largest wool broker, 
actually both wool and mohair broker. And um, I've been managing um, a clothing brand called Core Merino and then doing, a, you know, a few other odds and ends around the business. Um, it's it's changed a lot over the four years, um, but also been focusing a lot on um, the environmental impact of, of wool growing and what that actually means for brands globally. So do a little bit of everything, but mostly focus on supply chain and wool fiber going into products. Awesome. So we might... We might go right back to the start and talk about that because it always does intrigue me, the whole showing scene in the US. And I'm sure there's a few, <laughs> few listeners out there who've seen the photos of those show sheep in, in the US and wonder what the hell's going on. So the uh, the value of a sheep is all about how many ribbons it can win or is there any is there much of a meat focus on that breeding program or is it is it predominantly a show-driven? Yeah, I would say they're, they're supposed to be a meat focus, but, I mean, I will say it has – become so much about the looks of an animal. Um, I mean, it, I mean, I've become very turned off of the show industry. The older that I've gotten, the more that I've actually understand about sheep production and understand about the product that we're ultimately trying to produce because those lambs in the show ring aren't necessarily what, you know, what the industry wants. They regularly don't do well in like a feedlot system or like anything of like what's been set up for the industry. And I mean, if they don't do well in a feedlot system, they're definitely not going to do, um, you know, well on the pasture. So it is kind of a, a bubble of an industry, but uh, I would say money does talk. And I mean, some of what those rams and use sell for is ridiculous. They put a lot of, I mean, they do a lot of effort around AI and embryo transfer and that side of things. So um, I've been really proud of the sheep that we raise, but I don't think we've we've never gone so far to the you know the show side of things. Um, we've always had to raise an animal that needed to still do well on farm. So yeah, but it is a strange industry. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, and, and we'll stick in the US for a little bit. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's a the sheep is a. I don't know. I was going to say second cousin, but not even close in terms of. I guess it's. Cows, 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 and then pigs, and then maybe sheep or something. Is that where they rank? And yeah, I would say chickens are probably somewhere in there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously, getting uh, in the sheep industry, which is seems to have a massive potential in the US, but obviously beef is is the name is the main game. Yeah, I would say it should. Um, I mean, when I look when you look at the sheep numbers globally, and I think the US, the last time I checked, it was like less than five million head of sheep. There's so much room um, and so much potential that the industry should have. I just think it boils down to, I mean, you could say it's the lack of shears or the lack of infrastructure around like a, a strong wool industry. But I mean, we still have wool processing. I think looking at the global landscape, the U.S. is sitting in a really nice position. We can, I mean, we actually have wool processing still where, I mean, here in South Africa at the moment, we can't, we can't ship wool to China because of the latest foot and mouth disease outbreak. And, you know, there's things like that in the U.S. that they don't have to deal with. So it should be a good outlook, but I just I don't see those numbers changing. Not drastically, at least. No, yeah, no, it always has intrigued me. There seems to be lots of lots of flat pasture or flattish pasture that could be used for sheep. But um, yeah, there's a focus on cows, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, so you and I spent some time together at New Zealand Merino Company and I think we both left about the same time. Uh, you to head to South Africa and me to head into, into Nexion Agri. Uh, yeah, I'm intrigued to, I guess, hear a bit more about Core Merino and uh, that that brand that you've been instrumental in continuing to develop and then, um, yeah, we'll go there. But then also, 
I just love South African farming, and so we'll talk about that a bit, just to, just because I enjoy it, maybe. But we'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll, um, yeah. So Cormorino, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Cormorino is a, a wool athleisure brand, so your listeners will be very familiar with Icebreaker, Smart Woolers, some of those brands. So we, I mean, I haven't we haven't tried to reinvent the wheel here with that. Um, it was started in about 2012, so my colleagues saw that trend going towards wool wool activewear. And thought, why don't we have that here in South Africa? Because um, at that stage, I don't think there would have been any other brands. Icebreaker has a very small presence here, but otherwise, it's pretty much an open landscape as far as wool activewear brands. So I came on board and just completely re- redesigned, redid the whole range. We had they had basically decided to take this on board, ordered some styles, and then just started selling it. And so they had sold out of certain sizes, they had sold out of certain colors, and so just came in and just gave a whole revamp. What they had done that hadn't been so successful was they really just marketed it to farmers. Um, BKB is an agriculture company, so not necessarily dabbled into the side of retail that was probably necessary for this. We do have about 50 farm stores around the country, but, I mean, those are your typical, like, ag co-op type farm store. And the product isn't sold in those stores. And so in coming on board, I just, I really focused on online um, and then got around to events. Yeah, in South Africa, there's lots of active outdoors events, mountain biking, trail running. Um, I would say overall, South Africa is a pretty active, active country. Um, It has beautiful landscapes, mountains um, and whatnot. So people enjoy getting out and enjoying the outdoors and so, yeah, so I've just been running the brand, doing a little bit of everything. Um, I just have a small team here. Um, so we all pitch in with every aspect of the business. And um, actually, COVID was probably one of the best things for us to happen. We in, we've intended to go more international, and that hasn't really happened. But because I focus so much on online, which isn't as common in South Africa as it is like in the United States for, you know, where I come from, it's actually driven so many customers online. And I mean, our sales have continued to grow. Um, I think there was the one month that we were all pretty much in a hard lockdown and we couldn't ship so that we had a, you know, a steep down curve. But ever since then, it's been um, on the up. So it's been exciting to see the consumer here also catching on to natural, um, natural products um, and recognizing the value that Merino wool has given um, that there's, Lots of merino grown here. Hey everyone, my name is Catalina. I'm a two-time cancer survivor and a babe with a mobility aid. My name is Haley. I'm a PA with POTS and a water allergy. We are the hosts of the Doing It Disabled podcast. Haley and I are on a mission to create an honest dialogue about living with disability and chronic illness. We would like to open up our corner of the internet to both learn and teach about the lived experiences of the disabled community. Join us as we navigate this world that was not created with us in mind and watch how we do it disabled. Head on over to Spotify and check us out. Yeah, cool. It's, um, yeah, I've had a look on the on the website. This yeah. There's some some great products, and I actually was doing the conversion right with the rand that added, as it is. It's probably not it's probably not bad buying from the rest of the world. Yeah, about, I think it's roughly half or yeah, double what it used to be when I was traveling to South Africa. Mm-hmm. If we yeah, I guess if we go into the the production systems in South Africa, uh, I've uh, I'm a 
passion. I think if I lived anywhere other than where I currently do, it would be South Africa if I could. It's, um, I don't know, I almost feel homesick for not being there. It's only been there four or five times, but I just love the place. The um, Talk to us a little bit about how the farming systems work there out in the crew and elsewhere where Marino's grown. Yeah. So I was saying the crew specifically, it, it's mostly just, you know, sheep and angora goats and maybe some cattle, maybe a bit of wildlife. Um, you get on over into like the Western Cape, then it's mostly like crop production systems that they have sheep that then they um, have to run on them. So the, their focus there would be more around their crop systems. But um, sheep are still, you know, a massive, a massive part of the economy. Um, I mean, most most of the time, if you drive down the road, you're going to see sheep instead of cattle. And then I haven't spent nearly as much time in the free state and, and the more northern areas. Um, there is where you'll get free state, especially you'll get more row crops and so the, that dual system. But then, I mean, most people will run sheep, whether that's merinos. Merinos are still the most common, but then obviously there, there's your dorper, your meat master, and then um, some of the hair sheep breeds that are also quite common here. Yeah, but it's just, it's really exciting to see that that focus around sheep. And then obviously angora goats are also quite massive, especially in the Karoo. There's, I mean, this is the most angora goats in the world, although there's getting to be more and more in Australia, though. Yeah, although I think South Africa has, yeah, I don't know what the, what the multiplier is, but it is pretty much, in terms of the mower industry, it's South Africa and then... I think all the rest combined wouldn't even touch the touch of yeah. of African. And when I was traveling there, it was mainly to go into Mohair or Angora goat farms and, and check it out, but obviously checking out sheep. Have you had much to do with the research sort of crew over there? I think South Africa's, I would say, is probably the leading, well, have been in the leading research country, really, for sheep research, for really thinking about how sort of resilience works. And because of the climate, the crews are pretty, they sort of talk about it, maybe 11 or 10 or 11 inch rain, average rainfall, but that's sort of a one rainfall event every third year or something, I think is <laughs> roughly how it works. <laughs> the, the, um, maybe that's a little crew, but there's some pretty, yeah, it's a pretty tough terrain. Yeah, have you had much to do with any of the research, any of the research teams over there since you've been there? Or? Not, not a lot. Um, getting to working with them more and probably more around the environmental side of things um, and just understanding the environmental impact um, and just really, I mean, be better being able to quantify the environmental impact. It's not to say that farmers are doing bad. In fact, in general, I would say most people say the Karoo is looking better um, just because historically it did used to be massively overstocked. And so most of the farmers are having to kind of work their way back. And obviously just the landscape just takes time for it to recover from that. But it, yeah, it, the rainfall is quite low, um, but it's actually why, why sheep and goats make such a perfect match for, for the environment. Indeed. And I, yeah, I think when I was there, there was quite a, well, I don't know about a swing, but yeah, a lot of people getting into, I guess, more rotational or holistic grazing or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, but yeah moving away from just set stocking and flogging the country to, to try yeah. to encourage, encourage grasses and all the rest of it as, as that we know that science works. I guess what are the there's a few unique things in in farming in South Africa. There's there's some predators that at the scale that we um, we don't have to worry too much about in most of the rest of the world, particularly not New Zealand. But I guess there's jackals and red cats and all sorts of stuff. Is that'd be a major challenge for for farming there? Yeah, uh, it is a massive challenge, and um, and there's a you know there's a number of ways that farmers have to work around that into their production systems. So. 
It does make it tough. At least it's not, you know, like lions or hyenas or anything causing too many problems. We should, <laughs> Maybe further north. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I would say it does. There, I mean, there's a number of different things that that make it difficult to farm in South Africa. Um, I think that the farmers here are incredibly resilient. Obviously, low rainfall. Like I said, at the moment, we can't ship wool to China, um, raw wool to China. And we basically don't have any major wool processing in South Africa. So that's an issue. So I, I think it can be, I, I look at it and I could see why it'd be so easy for farmers to just throw their hands up and say, to hell with this, because obviously South Africa is, I think it has an incredible, like, I think the lifestyle that you have here hands down is, is amazing, but you, I mean, you have to deal with the uncertainty, some of the political issues um, and some of those things too, that, you know, can't just unfortunately be swept under the rug, um, some failing infrastructure in some small towns. Um, so it's, it's certainly not the easiest, um, but I think the rewards that, that these guys get are incredible. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about FMD, foot and mouth disease that's obviously stopped shipping. So that is like, not just a, significant problem that's a big problem if you can't get your product to 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 first stage processing yeah is there any any first stage processing in south africa or is that all just sitting around waiting to go yeah so it's pretty much sitting around waiting to go the so wool can go to europe still so um so like bulgaria czech republic and those places and fortunately some of that i mean that wool is still able to go actually not long before this last outbreak we were actually having issues shipping just in general because as the globe i mean as you look at the globe and i mean the whole bottleneck of shipping um then fewer ships were actually coming to south africa and so then i mean there's a lot of agriculture exports going out of south africa like right now is the big season for citrus and so the i mean you know those that citrus needs to get to europe and and the markets that it needs to get to so it was it was actually getting really tough for us to even get space on ships to get them out to China and Europe and other places. So the foot and mouth, so foot and mouth has, it's not anything new in South Africa. Um, just unfortunately, it, it made its way into a different province, which I think um, startled the Chinese. This is the second time in the four years that I've lived here that that exports have been closed off. So um, I think it's more just the problem is that the foot and mouth isn't uh, under control the way that it needs to be. It's, it's largely in beef cattle. And like I said, in the in the more northern regions where there really aren't sheep grown, so yeah, it's it's tough to see. But I think it's made the whole industry wake up and realize that maybe we're a little bit too reliant because it's not so much. It's not that the mills don't want the wool; um, it's actually the government. And so when you're left to those devices, it it's it's makes it tough for for your exports. So I, I mean, they have been looking at bringing some wool processing back. That's not going to happen overnight, unfortunately. But yeah, definitely looking at, at what we can do. I mean, even genetically, do we need to you know, go finer to hit those European markets better um, or what else we can be doing to ensure access to market? Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's a fairly relevant conversation as Australia's sort of got foot and mouth disease as close as it's ever been, I think, in, in Indonesia. So there's a fair bit, of, fair bit of discussion around foot and mouth at the moment and yeah, what that would do for for obviously that economy. Yeah. Is there any way you can, can you heat treat wool or something or is there just no way that the Chinese will take it? No. So I, I'm, I'm not going to go into the details cause I, I'd have to look it up, but um, so that's what, we, that's what happened the last time. So we actually installed a heater to make sure that the wool, that we could put the wool through um, and have it heat treated before it gets shipped. And 
the thing is that even that apparently isn't flying now. So, um, so I guess we thought, we thought that we had gone through and done and taken every step that we could to make sure that this didn't happen again. Um, that we heat treat the wool. It takes, I think it needed to be at a, a, I can't remember the temperature, but for 28 days, and then it could be loaded and it could be shipped and, and no, you know, no problem. So I think, yeah, it just goes to show you can think that you've done everything, you know, tick every box and, and it still might not make people, ha- you know, happy enough. So yeah, yeah no, so anyway, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't end up in Australia because, um, yeah, anyway, not even yeah. worth thinking about really, but obviously people are focused on that more than I am. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we were catching up just before we started recording and you mentioned you're back off, uh, back to the US for a while. Yeah, yeah. So I've had a really great time in South Africa. I'm sure I'll still keep all of my links here. But I've decided to take a role within the Walmart company, and I'll be working directly with Active Outdoors brands um, in North America. Yeah, cool. So that'd be a good opportunity and promoting promoting wool, which is what you've done for, I don't know, how many years? Yeah. Your entire career, pretty much. Yeah. No, and this gives me a nice, um, well-rounded base of New Zealand, um, the U.S., South Africa and Australia. And at the end of the, I mean, we can all say what we want, but wool is wool to me. If if a brand is using wool where, wherever that's from in the world, as opposed to polyester or nylon or a synthetic, um, then the entire industry wins. And I think um, like seeing everything come out, I don't know if you are as familiar with like the product environmental footprint in Europe and what they're looking at you know, putting labels on clothes to say the environmental impact of that. Um, I think we've really seen the need to collaborate as a wider wool industry to, you know, to make sure that wool keeps keeps a good name um, and that consumers recognize that it is the clean, green, natural fiber that that it is. Yeah, cool. And so you've only got sort of South Africa, uh, South America left, really, of the sort of major merino producing locations, and then you'll be yeah, in South America. South America's escaped me. I haven't even been to South America yet, so I'm definitely going to have to f- make a plan. <laughs> still got plenty of time. Yeah. yeah. Are you still running? Are you still running your ultra marathons? Or? I am. <laughs> so um, I'm aiming to run my second Comrades, which is a 90 kilometer um, race between um, Durban and Peter Maritzburg. So I'm aiming to my second one, unofficially my back to back. Because it hasn't been held for the last two years, <laughs> so I, d- I don't know that it counts to be back to back. So I ran it in 2019, and then Probably. hopefully, yeah. So hopefully this year. So um, other than that, I've been mostly trying to do more trail running and that side of things. Um, I'm supposed to do a half marathon this weekend, so hopefully that goes goes well. I ran I ran a full marathon a few weeks ago, so yeah, right. I'm getting there. <laughs> Are you still running? I am still running, but not. Uh... Yeah, no, there's a fairly big divider of the distances you're running. I think, yeah, I'm sort of more of a more of a four or five rather than a forty-five. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I would say that that's the that's the same distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That hurts enough without without times in my ten. Thanks very much for your time, Monica. It's been awesome to catch up after after a fair while, and um, yeah, look forward to seeing how you go back in the US, and look forward to catching up soon. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Ferg. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Ben Shepherd Podcast. If you enjoy listening in each week, please take a moment to subscribe or even give us a review. That'd be fantastic. And if you do get a moment to share it with your networks, we'd also love that so that we can share these great stories with more people. Thanks again to our friends at Allflex for sponsoring this episode. Allflex are wonderful supporters of the Australian 
and New Zealand Livestock Industries. Combined now with MSD Animal Health, they offer one of New Zealand and Australia's largest livestock product portfolios, focused on animal health and management, all backed up by that exceptional service. We really do enjoy our long-term association with Allflex and thank them very much for, for again supporting us with bringing this podcast to you.